Well, good morning. It is Easter. That's a time of celebration. The church always looks at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which gives us hope. We want to talk about that today. But before we do that, I just want you to know that even no matter how bad things get around us, God is still good, He's still doing good things. So I just want to make sure that everybody is aware that we have a couple members who have uh, applied for membership here at New Hope, or even right in the middle of this time. Uh, and here they are, Alex and Teresa McConaughey and Diana Panos. They've applied for membership, and our elders have approved them. So welcome aboard. We're glad uh, that they're here. And if you kind of want to welcome them on the public chat, feel free to do that as we're talking. Uh, so we want to talk about Easter this morning and what it means to us. And I want to start with a story that takes place in the Old Testament uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David was going up against his giant, Goliath, and he needed to prepare himself. So it says in chapter 17, verse 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. He didn't run and hide from him. He prepared himself and he stepped into his giant. And this is what we need to do with this COVID-19 thing. We need to prepare ourselves and step into it and not be full, full of fear because God's a good God. He's always doing good things in our life. So on that very first Easter, I want us to think about this. On that first Easter, the disciples didn't go to a big worship time in the, in the temple they were hiding out. They went into a room. They locked the doors, closed the windows, full of fear. Maybe you are full of fear, isolated in your home, feeling a sense of depression because you've been robbed of your socialization. You kind of know what they were feeling on that first Easter. So there's five things in our bag and we're going to draw them out as we talk about Easter. So if you picked up one of these bags as we ask you to, if you reach down inside, you'll find there's a nail. Pull that nail out. It kind of it represents uh, what we're talking about here. It's the first thing. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken, away, taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This, this nail is designed to attach things, to fix things together, to fuse them in place so they don't move. Jesus, representing your and my sin, went to the cross, and they used nails to attach him, to fix him to the cross. He was representing your sin. He was representing a sinful world, and it was nailed to the cross. This is the good news. If you want to take an outline, write this down. It's the stuck nail, stuck into the cross, to hold Jesus firmly in place, to hold your sin and my sin firmly in place on that cross. Nails are fasteners. They're designed to stick, to hold things 
in place, your sin. Jesus was held there on that cross. There were actually four nails in that cross. One nail went through his left hand. Actually, if this nail would have gone through his hand, then the weight of his body would have pulled that, pulled his hand apart, and he would have fallen off the cross. But a nail is there to hold him in place. Left hand. Maybe it was his left hand that he used when he bent over and picked up Malchus's ear off the dirty ground and put it back on the side of his head and healed him. Maybe it was that hand that the left hand, the, the, the nail held in that left hand. And then they put a nail in his right hand. Maybe it was that right hand that Jesus used when he spit on the ground and made mud and put it on the blind man's eyes and told him to go wash it off. Maybe it was that hand that he used to bring healing to the blind man. Then the third nail went through his feet. He put his feet together, drove that nail through his feet to hold him firmly in place. Those were the feet that led Jesus down those dusty roads from village to village, place to place, as he carried the good news for you and I. And you're probably saying, you said four nails. Where's that fourth nail? That fourth nail is up over his head, holding in place that sign they put over his head, King of the Jews. That's what he was condemned of. That's what he was charged with, being King of the Jews. And that nail held it in place. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to the death by nailing him to the cross. It was our responsibility. We nailed him to the cross. If we didn't nail him to the cross, maybe he's not our Savior. Because it was our sin that he was paying for on the cross so the stuck nail is the first part of the Easter story I want us to look at. Then I want us to, to move to the second thing. Also in your bag, if you reach down in, you're going to find a stone. Stone's pretty hard. You drop that on your bare toe and holler, ouch, because it weighs something. It's heavy. You see, they, they didn't use plastic stones back in Jesus' day. That stone was what sealed him in the tomb. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 55, 65, and 66, it says, Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. The stone was there to seal, to, to seal it. They rolled this stone in front. You see, stones are hard things. They're unmovable. It's not like sand. Sand, the more you move in it, the more it shifts and the more you sink down. But this 
is a rock. It's a stone that doesn't move. It represents what sealed Jesus in the tomb. And you know why they sealed him in the tomb, don't you? Because they're trying to control the stink. In the Old Testament, it says that our sin is a stench in God's nostrils. And you know what the word stench means. If you've ever come across a dead animal on the side of the road after it's been in the sun for a couple days, you know what stench is. And that's how your sin smells to God. We stink. So he rolled a stone in front of the tomb to hold that in. So stones are significant. They have a significant role in our life. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we read this. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It is on this rock, the fact that he had just confessed Christ as a Savior. That's the stone that the church is going to be built on, the solid faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Nathaniel Hawthorne told a story of a young boy who lived in a, in a village, and a, uh, just out of town was this large stone that resembled a face. And so it was called Great Stone Face. And the story was told that one day someone who looked like that stone face was going to come into that village. And as he came in, he was going to bring good things and do great things and bring blessing to the community. So everybody waited for that. And this boy looked at that stone and studied that stone and thought about that stone because he wanted to see that man come to town who would bring such great blessing. So years went on, and the young boy became a young man, and then middle-aged man, and finally an old man. And one day, that young boy, who is now an old man, came tottering into town. And a young boy, as he came into town, a young boy jumped up off his seat and said, He's arrived. He's finally come. Everybody celebrated and everybody came out and they all welcomed him because here came the great stone face. You see, that young boy, all through his life, spent so much time focusing on that stone face that he became the stone face. And I think the object of the story, the lesson for us, is to remember that when if we will spend our lifetime studying Jesus, looking at Jesus, focusing on Jesus, we will eventually become like him. That's what I want to do with my life. I want people to look at me and I want them to see Jesus, how Jesus would behave. It takes a lifetime to develop that. But I want to see that happen for you and for me. So Jesus was sealed in the tomb. But the good news is the tomb was rolled away, or the stone was rolled away, and Jesus came out of the tomb. Isn't that good news? Now, if Jesus can come out of his tomb, you and I need to get out of ours. There are certain things in our life that are weighting us down and burying us. It's the sin of our past. We need to get out of that tomb. There's life on the outside. We need to get out of there. Now, 
There's a third thing, if we'll look in our bag. There's this little package. If you rip it open, and I hope that you will, inside, you're going to find a couple plastic pieces. Hope your bag comes open easier than mine. One's a cross, and the other's a base to set the cross on. The cross. That's the third thing we're pulling out of our bag. This cross represents the altar that Jesus was nailed to that forgives our sin. It's the sanctifying cross. It sets us free. It purifies us. Sanctify means to be set apart for a holy purpose. The cross is where Jesus died, paying the price for you and I. When he died on the cross, a couple things were accomplished. First, he crossed out my sin. You see, sin separates me from God. And when Jesus paid the price for my sin, he crossed it out. So that sin isn't held against me anymore. Another thing he did, he crossed over my weakness. You see, I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect. So how can we stand before a holy God who demands perfection? The only way we can do that is if Jesus paid the price for that sin. Now he overcomes my weakness. He crosses it out. It's not something he looks at any longer. Thirdly, he crossed off my debts, wiped them out, crossed them off. It's like an eraser on a chalkboard. He wipes it clean. I'm so glad that God doesn't, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see what I've done wrong. He went to the cross willfully, paying the price for my sin. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, Then he said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That doesn't mean he wants us to go to a cross and have those nails driven through our hand. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross. Your cross is anything that brings death to you. Sometimes we have to say no to our selfish desires. That's taking up our cross. Sometimes it's doing something we would rather not do. That's how God blesses us. We've got to take up our cross. Now, I remember as a boy, I was listening to a, to a radio. I had a radio in my bedroom, and I listened to that radio, and there was some program, I don't remember what it was. I think it was a Catholic program. And uh, they had this offer. If I would send in a dollar, they would send me a cross, a glow-in-the-dark cross. So I traded my change in for a, for a dollar bill and sent that in to that company. I think they were in California, and they sent me a cross very similar to this. It glows in the dark. When it's in the light... It absorbs light, and then when it goes into the dark, it glows, it, it emits the light that it's absorbed. It's kind of like what the cross does for us. When I get in a dark place, 
a dark place in my life, and that's kind of where we are with this COVID-19 thing. It's a dark place. If we'll just let that cross absorb the light that Jesus has, we'll have light in the dark place. So I hope that you'll do that, especially if you have kids in your house, have them do that. And I think it'll be uh, an object lesson that they'll retain for quite a while. There's another thing in our bag that we need to pull out. Yeah. It's an egg. A showy egg. Bright colors. See, it represents Easter. Easter is something that we think of, or eggs rather, at Easter time or something we think of every year. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, it says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is a powerful verse. Notice it's referring to God's seed. That's the Greek word spermos. He puts his life inside of us and he expects it to grow. He expects it to flourish. He expects it to explode outside of the shell and become real life within us. He's placed his seed inside of us and he expects it to grow. Now, this is an egg. Can't fly can't reproduce what good is an egg you see we have to give the egg time to mature we have to give that egg an opportunity to grow and flourish because what's happening inside the egg as it stays warm under the mother that sits on it is transitioning there's a transformation going on on the inside of the egg and one day comes open and, a, and the, the chicken comes out. It's got to hatch. Your spiritual life has got to hatch. You can't just hold it on the inside. Although the seed is there, it's got to hatch. It's got to come out. It's got to come to life. Charles Spurgeon and his wife, a famous evangelist in the old days, uh, they, they had chickens. And Mrs. Spurgeon would, would, would uh, sell the eggs. And she wouldn't give any away, even to her family when they came around. She would not give one single egg away. She insisted that everybody buy the eggs. And so there was this little gossipy rumor thing going around behind the scenes that they were greedy. People talked about her greed after she died, it came out that what she did with the egg money was she supported two elderly widows in her church with that egg money. That's why she wouldn't give anyway. She insisted on selling them. She didn't tell anybody why. She kept that her secret. But there was a purpose behind what she was doing. God help us to do something with the seed planted inside of us. Which takes us to the fifth thing, and you might have wondered because your bag's now empty. But if you open the egg, you'll find on the inside is some fruit-flavored jelly beans. Represents the fruit of the Spirit. 
the fruit of the resurrection, the fruit of the life that we have. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, it's like a, an, the, the fruit of the apple tree or the, the, the fruit of the walnut tree. It's the, it's the seed of the next generation. It's that fruit that's significant. It's in the DNA. You're never going to find a pear or a peach on an apple tree because it's the apple DNA that's in that, in that tree that's growing. These are called the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit's in, Spirit of God's inside of us, there's going to be fruit in our lives. Now, spiritual gifts are different. Spiritual gifts are plural. They're multiple gifts. And God decides who gets spiritual gifts, not us. But fruit is different. It's singular although it has many different manifestations. Fruit is plural. or It's singular, but it has plural uh, characteristics in it. Each fruit has the... Or each tree has the fruit in it, uh, of the DNA of the tree. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Jesus said, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There's got to be some repentance. We have to turn away from the old if there's going to be fruit come out of our life. There's got to be a repentance thing. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus said, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You are recognized by the fruit of your life, by the character that that spirit influences. That's what people are saying about you. So let's make sure we got good fruit going. Some of you will remember uh, a couple that we had in our church some time back, Bob and Michelle Day. Uh, they attended our church usually on Saturday in the Saturday night service. Uh, they're from Edgerton, Ohio, drove all the way over here because they, they uh, were going through a, a crisis in their life, and they came here, and they found the peace of God through that. And they were with us for uh, a couple years, even, even uh, helped fill in on our worship team. But then God began working in their heart that they needed to get more engaged in their own community. So they began attending Life Changing Realities Church there in, in Edgerton. And an opportunity came up in Bob's life for him to get engaged in politics, which he had never done before. So he decided to run for mayor. And guess what? He won the election. So Bob Day is today the mayor of the city of Edgerton, and he's leading that community through a very difficult time right now with the COVID-19. And I saw a post he put on Facebook just last week where he was saying he was so proud of his community because someone had come into the town office and paid a utility bill for someone who is out of work. And I know why he posted that. 
Because, yes, he wanted to be proud of his community, but also he wanted, he's planting a seed, telling people how to express the fruit of the Spirit in their life, the blessings of God in their life. And so I tell the story because I'm thinking, that may be fruit that each of us can put into play, caring for someone else in a difficult time. So I'll, I'll close by saying this. Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. But today he lives so you and I can live in his place. Let's be the church. Let's be the people God called us to be. Let's let our fruit be visible. Let's let our fruit be sweet so we can influence a lost world around us. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know what fruit is. You need to surrender and let God begin to develop the fruit of the Spirit in you. The life getting outside of the shell so that we can be the church in a lost world. Go and do it for Jesus' sake. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would put your peace In every believer, help us to have confidence, help us to face our Goliath, help us to make a difference in this lost world, no matter how difficult things get. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.